Good news. My new book is almost here. It's called Handbook for the Heartbroken, A Woman's Path from Devastation to Rebirth. And while it doesn't officially come out with Sounds True until May 7th, you can pre-order it now. And when you do, you'll receive up to $500 in additional gifts and resources to support you on your healing journey. I wrote this book because in the four-year span between 2016 and 2020, I experienced serial heartbreaks that rocked every area of my life, health, relationships, finances, career, social status, and even my very identity. Along the way, I experienced firsthand just how dysfunctional our culture's relationship to loss really is. I saw how we live in a heartbreak illiterate world that's obsessed with success, shackled with isolation, and ignorant of how valuable our suffering can be for our growth and evolution, not only as individuals, but as a species. So this book expands the conversation around grief and loss beyond just breakups and bereavement, although we cover those too, to include falls from grace of all kinds, personal, professional, and collective. This includes the end of a relationship or job, death of a loved one, a natural disaster or a war, infertility, abortion, or a financial crisis. Also, when we're going through hard times, we're encouraged at every turn to hurry up and get on with it. But by trying to power through these messier seasons of life, we're denying ourselves the very answers to our healing and growth. Whether you're experiencing hardship right now, or you know that you have past hurts that are holding you back and still need healing, this book will support you. Handbook for the Heartbroken will show you that it's only through fully turning toward your heartbreak with support, courage, and compassion that you can heal. Within the loving pages of this book, you'll have full permission to fall apart and slowly, organically, find your way back to greater wholeness. I'm truly excited to share this with you. You can download your free chapter now and pre-order the book to receive all those bonuses at handbookfortheheartbroken.com. That's handbookfortheheartbroken.com. I also want to add that pre-ordering the book now is the very best way that you can support me as an author and the health of this book when it enters the world in May. It signals to booksellers to stock the book at that time and in turn, make it available to more people who need it. So thank you for your pre-orders. Thank you for your support. And I look forward to continuing to deepen together in this important conversation over the coming months. Hello, women. Welcome to She Talks, a space for you to come home to the wisdom and divinity within you, your she. I'm Sarah Von Stover, an author, spiritual teacher, and founder of the nonprofit Redemption Circle. This summer, I'm sharing a new series on the podcast called I Had an Abortion. Inspired by the isolation and suffering I experienced after my own abortion last year, This series aims to help alleviate the separation and silence that millions of women around the world experience after their abortions. This is a safe and sacred space for us to come together and have a healing, educational, and inspiring conversation around the most taboo topic on the planet, out in the light of day. 
I Had an Abortion is also a series to help raise funds for the nonprofit I founded called Redemption Circle to change the way we view and treat women who have had abortions. Redemption Circle is a 501c3 and global movement to heal the stigma of abortion and create a support network that spans the world and empowers women to heal physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually after their abortions. Every dollar we receive goes towards building this vision. And you can donate for as little as the cost of a cup of coffee each month, just $5. Plus, it literally takes less than two minutes to donate. To do that, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash redemption circle. That's patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash redemption circle. On that page, you can learn more about this vision. And you'll also see ways that you can get involved if you want to volunteer your time or your skills, or if you feel inspired to lead redemption circles in your home community, wherever you happen to be in the world. And if you've had an abortion, whether it was a month ago or 40 years ago, and you still feel some dis-ease around it, or even if you feel tremendous relief around it, and you want to join a community for the first online gathering that I'll be leading to help women to return to wholeness after their abortions. This will start in September. And as always, I'd love to have you. So to learn more about that or to sign up, to be notified when it opens, depending upon when you when you hear this, it may already be open go to thewayofthehappywoman.com forward slash redemption, thewayofthehappywoman.com forward slash redemption. Thank you for your support. As an African proverb says, when we pray, we need to move our feet. So by donating, this is how we can move our feet. And the only way we can move the needle on this topic and to really see more change in our lifetimes and supporting women after abortions is by joining together to do this. Ideas that we share grow stronger. All right, now for today's I Had an Abortion conversation. Hello, and welcome back to our fourth and final episode for now of the I Had an Abortion series. I still have a little bit of a cold for those of you who are with me for episode three with Dr. Christian Northrup. So I still sound stuffed up. And today I want to introduce you to Linda Weber. And I was introduced to Linda back in July when I first published my abortion story and a woman in our community recommended her work, particularly her book about abortion to me. And I'm so glad that she did because Linda is a true wise woman. She's been a psychotherapist, spiritual counselor for women, and active feminist since 1970. That was before I was even born. Okay, She was one of the country's first abortion counselors here in the U.S. and helped to start a nonprofit abortion and Women's Health Clinic in Boulder, Colorado, in 1973, when abortion was first legalized in Colorado. 
And that was where I sought skilled counsel after my own abortion last year. She also leads Women's Wilderness Quests in Colorado every summer and is the author, as I mentioned, of the gem of a book, Life Choices, The Teachings of Abortion. And this book really tackles a very complex subject with such lucidity, accessibility, and sophistication that I firmly believe it needs to be required reading material in high school, or at least by teens when they become sexually active. And she really does a beautiful job of merging the spiritual dimensions of abortion, the historical context of it, and also the psychological struggles within women. And today in our conversation, we talk about how women are the gatekeepers to new life and how this is not something, a power that we're initiated into and what we can do to embrace and honor this power. We also talk about the fascinating and long history of abortion, both in the world and in the U.S. I find this just really, really interesting. Uh, why Linda believes the distinction between the terms elective abortion and therapeutic abortion, which is used in the case of genetic abnormalities, for instance, are actually unnecessary, and I agree with her. Ways abortion is at odds with our learned tendency to constantly self-sacrifice and just the struggle that that sets us up for. And the next steps that she prescribes for us to heal en masse from the stigma of abortion. I hope you enjoy this conversation, and I hope that you've enjoyed this podcast series at large aimed at just opening up a more overt, dynamic conversation around abortion, because to heal, we really need to break our silence and come together as a sisterhood. And last, uh, the online course Redemption Circle, the 40-day journey to healing physically, emotionally, mentally, and spiritually, is still open for registration. And we start in two weeks on September 17th. This is the very first course. I hope you will join us. I'm really looking forward to it. And again, information about the course is at redemptioncircle.org. All right, lots of love and enjoy. All right, welcome, Linda. It's wonderful to have you here with us today. Thank you. Wonderful to be here. And we always start our women's gatherings here with a personal sharing. Can you tell us where you're joining us from today and how you're doing at the levels of body, heart, and mind? I am joining you from Boulder, Colorado, um, and I'm in my home office here. Um, How am I doing with body, heart, and mind? My body is pretty excited and a little bit nervous about um, being here to talk about my book. It's mostly excited. So there's some nervous energy there, but it's good. And um, so I am really ready to go on that level. And uh, as far as my heart, my heart's really with the subject. And um, so I'm just delighted to be um, speaking here about this. And um, and my mind has been trying to get organized, <laughs> but it's doing just fine. And uh, thinking about all the 
the complexity and details of things we might cover today. Yeah. Great, thank you. And there is a lot of complexity, and that's why I wanted to have this conversation with you. Because when I published my abortion story last month in July, Mm-hmm. A woman who is part of my larger The Way the Happy Woman community reached out and asked if I had heard of you or if I had read your book, and I hadn't. And I wish that I had earlier, although I think that there's the right timing for everything. But right away, I ordered your book, Life Choices. And for those listening, it's called Life Choices, The Teachings of Abortion. And I... I mean, this is a profound book, and I wish that it were required reading for boys and girls in high school. And it's definitely a book that every woman, certainly every woman who has ever had an abortion, needs to have in her home library. And you clearly have a lot of experience in this field, and you do a really skillful job at laying out all the different pieces in a way that's easy to understand and it's accessible. And especially the way that you put abortion in the context of our history as women within the patriarchy and modern times and just the reality of a woman's life. So to start, can you share with our listeners how you even got involved with abortion in the first place? Because from my understanding in reading your book, it wasn't intentional from the beginning, as it, as it isn't. It wasn't for me either. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's. Um, oh, I'd be happy to share that. And um, it all happened to me when I was in my twenties. Um, so it was a while ago, and I was um, living and working in uh, New York City. Uh, mostly, I was home. I had two small children. Um, at the time, and um, abortion, the repeal of the very restrictive abortion law in New York State happened in, uh, the I don't know when exactly, the spring of 1970, I believe, and it went into effect in July of 1970, and I was very involved in the women's liberation movement at that time, which was active and growing and um, quite alive and well in in New York City, and um, a friend of mine got a job with a clinic in the city because many abortion clinics opened up right away as soon as the New York State law went into effect. Um, and I, at that point, was looking for something to do, and so my friend said, well, why don't you go up there and get a job? They're hiring people who've had abortions. And I had had an illegal abortion a number of years before that. Um, and that that particular clinic was hiring doctor's assistants, and your only credential besides being intelligent was to have had an abortion. They required that. Mm-hmm because the job was to talk with patients when they came in and give them a lot of information and also to listen to their situation, their life stories. So that's how I got involved with it. I went up to the clinic and got interviewed and decided to take the job and began working as a doctor's assistant. Um, 
And that was because the time of the time and place, the historical time and place and the change in the law, because it was still quite illegal throughout the rest of the country except for a few other states that had uh, liberalized laws. Um, so that was that involvement. I think that answers that pretty well. And um, I can go further if you like. Yeah, and then I know you went on to found or be one of the founders. I'm not sure if it was just your group of people, the Boulder Valley Women's Health. Mm-hmm. How did how did you move from from the New York clinic to right. out to Boulder Valley Women's Health? Right. Well, that was entirely personal. I wanted to leave New York City. Uh, I had a friend out here in uh, Colorado, in Boulder, and um, and so I eventually moved here. And there was a liberal law in um, Colorado. It was actually one of the first states to liberalize, but it wasn't as open and um, or as liberal as the New York State law became. So um, I began to just work here as a volunteer in one of the people's clinics, you know, one of the street clinics, because during those early years of the early 1970s, this is 1972 I'm talking about here, um, there were lots and lots of of young people moving around the country and living on the streets. And it was the time of the Vietnam War and the anti-war movement and the hippie movement. Um, so that was the atmosphere. And there was a free clinic. And I would go in every once in a while and do some volunteer abortion counseling um, to help some of the women who showed up at that clinic. Um, and then I... Then I was just living here, and the Roe v. Wade decision happened with the Supreme Court. And I knew, because I had lived through what happened when the law changed in New York, I knew that clinics would be starting right away after that here. Mm -hmm. And so I just began looking for the people who I knew would start the clinic because I was ready to get back involved and do the counseling part. And I found uh, the group, and it was a group of people, who were community organizers and uh, people who had helped women get illegal abortions, like psychiatrists who had helped women get illegal abortions and legal abortions. Um, And they were looking for somebody to head up the counseling program because they wanted to have a counseling program. And I was probably the only person in the area who had had any experience at all because I had been in New York State or actually in New York City. Yeah, so I took that on. It was a very exciting time, very creative time. We put this uh, Boulder Valley Clinic, we called it, together and um, began to see patients at the beginning of November in 1973. Wow. Are you still involved with Boulder Valley Women's Health now? I am not involved um, in terms of work. I don't work there, but I am Mm -hmm. friends with them. I I stay in touch with them, uh, and I like to know what they're up to. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was where I had um, some post-abortion counseling that I really appreciated. Mm -hmm. It's a great resource. Mm -hmm. And so now now what are you you doing? 
I've been in private practice doing psychotherapy and spiritual counseling and work out in nature, in the wilderness. Uh, we have a lot of wilderness around here. And yeah. um, and then I, I wrote the book, and the book was published in 2011. And I do other writing and probably will write another book. So I'm I'm pretty part-time, and I'm freelance, and uh, that's what I'm doing. Great. Mm-hmm. And I found, you know, immediately I found the overall perspective that you share on abortion to be really refreshing, that mm-hmm. it's part, an inherent part of both nature's cycles and women's creative cycles. Mm-hmm. And you share that we live in a culture that's very death adverse. Right. And that death is obviously a part of life. And I loved that metaphor that was in the early part of your book that one of your clients shared with you. I think it was in a poem that she wrote or something that it was her abortion was like pruning the mother plant. Well, yeah, that actually was was just breathtaking. I the, yeah. the woman was a patient at uh, an, er, an early the early time of the women's health center here in Boulder, and she I was going to be her counselor and. Um, when we asked everybody to say, you know, what, what abortion was for them and how they felt about it, and she wrote that for her, abortion was like pinching the leaves off the mother plant to let it grow. And um, I found that really breathtaking. Of course, it's a very poetic statement. But it wasn't actually a poem she wrote. It was just her answer to the question. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I spoke with her, she had she had dug pretty deeply inside of herself and really done some some soul searching and come to a very relaxed place around having an abortion. So she wasn't distressed by it at all, and she just felt that it was a necessary step that she needed to take at that time because she was pregnant, didn't want to be pregnant and had a lot of other things going on in her life and felt that that this was, you know, a, a growing time for her if she thought of herself as the mother plant. And she didn't go into the metaphor a whole lot with any depth, but I was transfixed because mm-hmm. she had come, become so clear on her own. And, and it's, a, it's a, you know... A, it's a very complex idea that, that she was um, expressing. And it's one very, very connected to nature. And most people in our culture are not connected. They're pretty disconnected from nature. And there's a tendency to think that nature is separate from us and as humans and that we are separate from nature. But she didn't feel that way. She just felt herself as a natural being who needed to make this decision, and it was a clear decision for her. So I was very impressed, and it stuck with me, and that's how it got into the book. And then how do you feel that abortion fits into this larger, like this larger pattern of nature cycles? That it, uh, it has its own natural place. Well, it it has its own natural place because it's something that happens uh, relatively frequently. 
And um, it, either it happens spontaneously and the, the body has a, a spontaneous abortion, which is a miscarriage. We call them miscarriages and the doctors call them spontaneous abortions. Um, or there is some kind of conscious awareness that has to be brought to the pregnancy to make a decision. And I feel, just from what I've been shown in my life, that um, everything that happens is part of nature, you know, including our consciousness. And so when women bring their consciousness and their intention and their thought process to uh, a pregnancy, making a decision about which way it's going to go, if you're going to carry it through or if you're going to turn it back, is a very natural process for women. It's been going on throughout history. And women make decisions about whether or not to bring through a pregnancy that's that's there in their bodies um, based on circumstances and feelings and, um, you know, all of the myriad details of, of life. So I think it's a natural process. Yeah, because because it's happening within the woman. Right, and it was so, I mean, it's so obvious now, but in the later later sections of you of your book, you mentioned, you know, there's there's only a certain number of things that one can do when she is pregnant. She can have the baby. Mhm. She can have the baby and give it up for adoption. Mhm. She could have a miscarriage or she could choose to have an abortion. Right. And those are our options. That's it. And yeah, it just helps it like helps simplify things and see how I don't know, my experience is that because I've had an abortion, I'm kind of I'm sure many other women have this experience, feel othered from women who've either had a baby or who had a miscarriage that mm-hmm. and you also write abortion is pregnancy loss. It can that be. those of us who have had abortions are not really considered in that camp. Right. Yeah. Well, that, you know, really points towards all of the judgment against women in a patriarchal society. I mean, the way to maintain male supremacy in a society is to, well, this isn't really a word, but we're going to say it, otherize, yeah. <laughs> otherize people. And, and it has... At, at a certain point in history, women became subordinated. So the female became subordinated to the male, and um, it's and everything female, everything feminine was devalued, and everything masculine was overvalued. Um, and so, in our society, it's been difficult to have any real concept of equality. People don't have any real understanding of equality because we're so used to inequality going on. Um, And and so women have grown up in their various patriarchal societies, um, and in some areas, some areas of the world, it's a little freer, like it's a little freer in this country than in some other countries. Um, but we grow up with this idea that somehow doing things the way we would naturally do them is less important or less valued. 
because the patriarchy values the male way more. And that's the water in which we swim. So that's an interesting we, way to put it. I've never... Yeah, that just that the way that we naturally would want to do things are not is not valued. Not valued as much. You know. Yeah. It's Yeah. And so all of the judgments, the negative judgments against femininity, against you know, female ways, against anything a woman might think or how she thinks, they all seem to come to bear when there's a crisis pregnancy. And um, and a lot of these issues in, a, in the individual woman's life come up, and it really feels like a crisis, you know. Yeah. And so an example of that is that feeling of being selfish for choosing an abortion. That's very common. It's yeah. like somehow you're selfish, which is bad, for choosing an abortion because you're choosing not to sacrifice yourself. You're choosing not to have a baby at a time that you really don't want to have a baby or that you really feel you cannot have a baby, that it's a very um, inopportune time to have a child, or you don't want to have another child. You know, the majority of women who get abortions now are married, I don't know. Most people don't know that, and many of them already That's have children. Yeah, and many of them already have children. Um, so it can be there are all kinds of circumstances that um, in which these pregnancies occur. Um, so yeah. Yeah, and this and the selfishness piece is a big one because that wasn't even conscious for me until I read your book mm-hmm. and I thought oh of course like this is the, the this is the, the one of the central pieces of this is that mm-hmm. a woman is choosing herself right. over others right and that's we've been raised to believe that that's just that's not okay right and I yeah. found it fascinating you said that a lot of the times the guilt or the lingering sadness around abortion for women is not so much that they had an abortion, but that they put themselves first. Sometimes, yeah. And yeah. it's not and not necessarily conscious, like you say. You know, not aware that that's the reason they feel guilty. They sometimes go immediately towards the idea of of having killed somebody or something in the abortion, that that's what they must feel guilty about. And then when they probe and they really look into it, they'll discover that they they feel really guilty because they chose themselves first. They chose their own mm-hmm. life first. And um, And women are so accustomed to feeling guilty in the first place, walking around with a lot of guilt just about being who they are, um, that it's kind of easy to fall into feeling guilty, you know. And yeah. it's not comfortable, but it's relatively easy to fall into feeling guilty. You know, because yeah, there's be- this idea that maybe you are. <laughs> maybe you mm-hmm. are guilty. Yeah. 
Yeah, one of the things that you share is also that it's so, abortion is so contextual and it really can only be seen within light of a woman's circumstances, her relationships, just kind of like the ecosystem of her own life. Right. right. And the political climate around abortion doesn't take any of that into consideration. No. Every situation is unique. Yeah. Yeah. And you said that you see it as a woman's moral responsibility, um, that that abortion is about women's moral responsibility. Mm -hmm. Can you speak more about that uh, when it comes to to this? Sure. Um, Well, let me back up a little bit because, you know, the moral responsibility is intrinsic to being somebody who might have to make a decision about whether to bring life through the body or not. And... um, that's a built-in responsibility that we have as gatekeepers of life. You know, we can call gate, we're gatekeepers. We're the we're the ones whose bodies the life will come through or not. Um, and uh, so, becoming aware of the moral responsibility is a big part of the process of resolving the crisis nature of a pregnancy when it feels like a crisis pregnancy because it's not considered women are not considered to be the ones who have that power you know in a patriarchal society women are controlled by laws and um, you know it's relatively recent that even birth control has been legal Um, maybe the last 50 years or so, and that's been gradual. Um, but women have not been the ones to to say whether or not to have pregnancy. In fact, when, you know, the, the whole assumption has been, well, if you're pregnant, of course you're going to have the baby. But actually, in fact, if you think about the earth and you think about all the circumstances of life, in communities and in families and in relationships, you realize that somebody's got to make the decision about whether or not to bring through a life through the body. So, in fact, according to nature, as far as I can see it, it would be the women who are the ones to make that decision. So it's a moral responsibility on that level. Um, I, I want to really make that clear that I'm not saying to women, you have a moral responsibility. You know what I mean? Right. I'm saying that it's intrinsic to just yeah. being who we are. That we yeah. could be, we could be faced with acting on that responsibility. Is that pretty clear? It is, and that's something else that you point out is that because of this patriarchal environment that we've all been immersed in mm-hmm. for centuries, you know, for many generations, a lot of us as women don't have very well-developed decision-making skills. Mm-hmm. Right. And we don't often trust our own agency because we've had to defer agency for so long, and that's why... Right. That's one of the reasons why during a crisis pregnancy it can be hard to make a decision. Yeah. And, and the majority of, or, or a large number of the people who become pregnant are young. 
and have not had to make decisions in their own lives. And on top of that, there might have been, you know, messages that they got through family, church, school, the air, <laughs> saying that they shouldn't be the ones to make the decisions, you know, that, that the men should make the decisions. And not only that, but there are messages that are extremely anti-woman, saying that women don't even know how to make decisions, that our brains don't work that way. In the 19th century, there was a lot of talk about how women's brains were in their womb. <laughs> and oh we really couldn't, we, that's why we didn't have the vote, because we really couldn't think clearly. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, and we haven't had the vote for that long, you know, like just almost a hundred, a little less than a hundred years, I think. Um, so, yeah. So there, the um, repression and the oppression of women, you know, is is thorough in a patriarchy. But it, we've been moving out of it for quite a while now, and the women's movement, of course, is one of the main vehicles for that. And feminism is the vehicle for that, to understand that not only do we think straight, we also think globally, and we think in terms of our whole family, and we think in terms of community, and we balance our thinking. And, you know, we have a way of, in general thinking that uh, recognizes power dynamics or we you know we learn how to recognize power dynamics in relationship so i have some talk about that in the book as well but the power to bring life through the body is an a really all consuming kind of power and sometimes in the crisis pregnancy uh, when a woman is making a decision about whether she's going to continue a pregnancy or not, or she already knows that she doesn't want to. You know, she comes face to face with her own power and sometimes is afraid of it. You know, it, it can scare her. Yeah. Because she's not used to it. And I've had I've had women tell me here and there in counseling sessions, you know, that that it's too much power. I don't want to have this power to make this decision. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. So, and and there's a time uh, limitation on the decision with regard yeah. to uh, pregnancy and abortion. So there's quite a bit of pressure, time pressure, and emotional pressure and distress to try to figure out these really big questions within themselves. Sometimes it's helpful to uh, help a woman understand that it isn't all her and that everything that she's facing into is not necessarily just personal. It feels very personal because of her circumstances. But it's not all personal. There are cultural and historical pressures that are operating on everybody. So Yeah, and you you know, you share that abortion can really be a spiritual teacher and mm-hmm. even that one perspective from an intuitive that you wrote about said that oftentimes the baby or the fetus, whatever you know, whatever mm-hmm. the woman wants to call it, um, that is aborted comes as a spiritual teacher. And that mm-hmm. was certainly 
one dimension of my abortion experience, knowing that this is going to take, you know, I'll probably be, I will be digesting this for the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. There's so many, there's so many layers of it, but one is that it's, it's really the greatest spiritual initiation of my life so far. And Interesting. you wrote, abortion has the power to wound. It also offers the opportunities for immeasurable growth and healing. The emotional pain of the experience allows women to open themselves in a way not otherwise possible. It often pushes a woman into a deeply introspective place where a great deal of personal learning can occur. Having an abortion, though painful, can act as a catalyst for a woman to become more aware of her personal power. When we come face-to-face with our own life-giving power, we also encounter our authority and capacity as women. Right, right. And we do. And, um, yeah. And that's why, you know, it, it can be a really... Um, transformational experience for a person. And we don't talk about this. No. You know, it's it's all seen in such a negative light. Mm-hmm. And, yes. you know, of course, yeah. you know, none of us want to be in this position, but, it, you know, it happens a lot, and we are in this position a lot. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. having, having a transformative lens to look at it through is, it's really the only way to heal, I think. Right, right. And there are, you know, there are other experiences in life that are transformational as well. This just happens to be one of them for some people. Yeah. And um, I think one of the things that I've emphasized, um, and after the book came out, I, I did a couple of radio interviews and this and that, and it was, um, I found myself really um, emphasizing to people that this is, an experience, you know, just like any other experience in our lives. It isn't a bad experience. It might be a very difficult experience. Um, it isn't for everybody, by the way, but it might be a very difficult yeah. experience for for some people. And and um, but it's an ex- it's just a life experience. You know, it's it's not something separate from our life experiences. Yeah. And that's really, really important because, again, um, you know, it's it's such a female experience. And and as I say that, of course, I'm thinking about the men who also go through some feelings of their own, which are very important. Um, but um, it is such a female experience and a female-oriented experience that it doesn't fit in the patriarchy in many ways. You know, and so what's happened is that there's an an attempt to um, repress and control women's reproductive experiences so that we don't have the actual freedom to grow from them because we're so busy defending ourselves. And that's where we are politically. It's pretty hideous, actually, politically right now. Because um, we're in a, a really reactionary place politically, and um, and so unfortunately, a lot of the focus, you know, of of the feminist movement and the political movements that are trying to keep abortion legal is to focus on that. Um, and yet, I I really appreciate the fact that you're 
that you're talking about it from the point of view of a deeper soul transformation. And that whole uh, conversation about um, the the learning and the lessons and um, what might be going on on a different level of reality, because you know there are lots of levels of reality, and um, and on the spiritual level, on the soul level, it's a different experience. But many women have that experience of being in communication with another soul and feeling that they're being supported to live their own lives. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And yeah, you shared that story mm-hmm. about the woman who communicated with the soul of her child when she was six weeks pregnant or something and had a spontaneous abortion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, and that can happen. I mean, it's... I don't think that most of us have developed the skills, the meditative skills to be able to do that. She happened to have those skills, even as a very young person. Um, But it is something that happened, that can happen. Um, And then I think there there was another example in the book of a woman who was a meditator, and in meditation she saw the soul leave. Yeah, it looked like a little blue light going away um, in her meditation, but she still needed to have the physical procedure of the abortion done mm-hmm. to complete it. So that was fascinating to me. Um, it's fascinating, and certainly, you know, there's yogic practices to stop your heart and mm-hmm. to become really hot in mm-hmm. very cold temperatures and all of these sorts of things. So, of course, there is that kind of yogic, energetic, meditative capacity within us as women to mm-hmm. have a spontaneous abortion. Well, there is, yeah. Yeah. And it does happen, but you don't, you won't hear it talked about. Right. Because she will be attacked by, by certain you know, areas of society for killing her baby. Right. Yeah. So what, you know, there was a very rich history of abortion before the patriarchy and that you go into in the book. Can you share a little bit about that history? Yeah, well, you know, the history, that history is very ancient because patriarchy has been around for over 2,500 years. Um, and I relied on um, the work of a historian named Gerda Lerner um, for a lot of the his- historical material that I that I put in the book. Um, but there was a time in ancient times when both women and men revered what they related to as a goddess, which was the mother goddess, and that was nature. And there was no concept of separation between a human being or any other being and the rest of nature. You know, it was really all one. So anything going on in a human being um, was part of nature. And it wasn't, there was no development of philosophy at that time. It was just simply the way people lived. And, and so... Um, 
there was an understanding that everything moved as one, you know, and that the mother goddess, the life force of the earth, uh, gave life to everything and also gave death or took away life. I mean, it's hard in the language. It's difficult, like right now, (laughs) in the language Mm -hmm. to find exactly the right words to describe it because it's a very fluid way of being. And um, we can still access that. You know, that's why I do a lot of work out in nature now with people. Um, But we can still access that by spending time in nature um, in an intentional way. Um, But at that time, it was just the way people lived. And so, you know, a lot of ceremony developed and, you know, rituals that honored the goddess and then all of the different aspects of nature. And death was just something that was part of life. That was very obvious. And it still is very obvious if we stop and take a look. Um, And so is is that the history that you're thinking of that I have in the book? Yeah, and also, like, one of my girlfriends is an herbalist, and she shared with me from her studies Mm-hmm. with a more senior herbalist who was interested in mm-hmm. abor- um, herbs to heal after abortion and kind of went into the history of what kind of herbs were once used by medicine yeah. women. And right. one of them that she mentioned was an herb that's it's related to fennel, but apparently, and it was it was proven to be very effective with abortion and not to be dangerous to the woman. Mm-hmm. And apparently that was just like, made to be extinct from the planet so it doesn't even Uh, exist anymore mm -hmm. yeah well there are herbs and and you know different kinds of uh, ways that people can um bring on an abortion i don't know i mean it really you need you really need a practitioner or a midwife who's knowledgeable you know yeah but that once this was part of women's culture yeah well, abortion, you know, up until relatively recent history, you know, the last couple of hundred years, um, was cons- all things regarding preg- that, that were involved with pregnancy were considered to be part of the women's community. And the women, you know, um, would take care of it. And the midwives were the ones delivering the babies and, and also helping women with difficulties in pregnancy and also uh, helping women have abortions. Um, and that began to change in this country in the 19th century as the male medical profession developed. And as the medical profession developed, they excluded women from it. So the only people who became doctors were men. And um, and then eventually the specialty of obstetrics and gynecology developed, and all of those doctors were men. And the midwives were kind of forced out, um, and it, and things really changed, you know, and hospitals came in and all that kind of thing. Um, and so the dynamics of care changed radically, and reproductive services were no longer simply part of the women's part of the community. You know, they were controlled by the male doctors, and that's something that has continued to this day, although it's changed to some degree because women have gotten into medicine. Um, But, yeah, there is that whole history, and um, the control of women's reproduction and the control of reproduction 
based on class and race was also something that developed. Um, Can you say more about that? What? Can you say more about that piece? Sure, sure. Um, Middle-class women were valued more by the male medical professional people. And um, primarily in this country, middle-class white women. So they were the ones to get the care that was considered to be more specialized if it was done by a male obstetrician gynecologist. Um, And abortion was looked down upon. It was thought to be something that was uh, part of being lower class or even part of being, you know, a prostitute. Um, and I'm really kind of abbreviating the history here because it's really it's pretty complicated. But um, these attitudes you really flesh it out in your book, yeah, yeah. The attitudes prevailed that were very negative towards abortion, and uh, this gradual this sort of grew. It became gradually more and more in the late 1800s and early 1900s. And the laws began to change. It used to be in the, let's say, the I can't remember my dates exactly, but in the, I think it was the mid-1900s, uh, no, um, you know, that it was up until quickening, which meant the movement of the fetus in the uterus. So that would be about four and a half months or something like that. Um, abortion was was not frowned upon. I mean, it was not considered a problem. Um, so there was that. Now let me just move also to the working classes of white women. Um, they would have a much harder time getting any kind of good care, but the midwives were still operating. Among the newly freed slaves, the African women and the African-American women, um, it was a different situation. They, they really didn't have any you know, services Um and they were still in danger of all kinds of awful things happening to them. Um, but sometimes the African-American women would choose, if, if, if they were still in slavery, this is prior to the Civil War, prior to emancipation, but during slavery some of the um, African-American women would choose to have abortions rather than bring their children into slavery. So, you know, it so does really depend on the context of a woman's life. Right. Exactly. And like you said, she's, gonna, she's the gatekeeper. Yep, how she's going to approach her decisions about a pregnancy. You also write about the distinction between elective and therapeutic abortions. Mm-hmm. And I found it really refreshing that you say that you don't you feel these are not necessary to have these distinctions. And well, I, yeah. They don't make any sense. But, to me. <laughs> can you can you explain that? Yeah. Um from the point of view of a pregnant woman who doesn't want to be pregnant for whatever reason if she wants to have an abortion she then really needs 
to have an abortion. It doesn't matter what the reasons are, from my point of view or from her point of view. So the fact that there would be what they would call a therapeutic abortion, um, which is an elective abortion, I mean, a therapeutic abortion is one that has legitimate reasons according to the medical community for her to like have Like chromosomal abnormalities sure. or something. Sure, some sort of medical reason why she could not carry the, the child to term, right? Carry right. the pregnancy all the way to term. Um, or some sort of severe psychiatric reason that would make her, quote, unfit to be a mother. Um, and in Colorado in 1967, you know, that, that's part of the law that passed, is that a woman could get an abortion if she had the signature of two psychiatrists um, saying that she was unfit to be a mother, basically. She had wow. psychological problems. That's why she needed an abortion. So then that would be considered a therapeutic abortion. But if a woman has an abortion or, or requests an abortion because it's the wrong time in her life from her point of view to have a baby because of her circumstances, whether they are her physical circumstances, relational circumstances, her age, her uh, finances. Finances. Yep, finances. Yeah. Um, you know, her very real um, life reasons why she doesn't uh, want to have a baby at a particular time. That's considered an elective abortion, which means that she's choosing to have it even though she doesn't really need it. It's not therapeutic. It's elective. So those were the two categories. Yeah, but she does need it. (laughs) But she really needs it. And she's the one who knows why she needs it. And that, to me, should be the only determining factor, determining factor, Right. Is if a woman feels like she needs it, yeah, for any her reason desire at all. to have an abortion is enough. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I feel like those two things are, you know, you don't need those those categories. Mm-hmm. Well, somebody who's having a um, medical emergency with a pregnancy um, is having a medical emergency with a pregnancy and decides, you know, she needs to end it, or the doctors see that she needs to end it because it's life-threatening to her, then that's that's the situation. She needs mm-hmm. to end the pregnancy. It doesn't have to be called therapeutic. Yeah, because I found the women that I know who have had therapeutic abortions, it's almost like, I don't know if it's coming from them or if it's coming from me or probably both, but it's just that, like, I'm in a different category than you. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm, I'm and it's like actually no, like I like I lost my baby too, and in a way, mine was also therapeutic. You know, it's like I, I yeah, it's like my they're circumstances all, didn't give me a choice ultimately. They're all therapeutic. They all have to do yeah. with healing. They have to do with healing yeah. and taking your life in one direction rather than another direction. Yeah, and and you know, knowing what's best for you in your life. And being the one to de- to determine that. I mean, in New York State, prior to um, the legalization and the liberalization of that law in 1970, 
prior to that, if you wanted um, a safe legal abortion, you had to go in front of a board, a hospital board of people, usually all men, and justify your reasons for wanting an abortion. And they would decide whether you can't even imagine that. Yeah. (laughs) Especially during that time where it's like you're just, there's so much happening. I mean, that's the last thing that a woman needs at that time. It's completely disempowering and distressing. And I would say in many cases traumatizing for the women. Definitely traumatizing. Yeah. The women have a decision. Yeah, they're putting their destiny in someone else's Mm -hmm. hands. Yeah. Your destiny in someone else's hands, exactly. Because the doctors thought they knew best. You know, the board of whatever, the hospital, what they knew best, and they would listen and they would decide whether or not you got an abortion. It was pretty hideous. Yeah. What have, what have you found over the years that really helped to women to heal? Oh, actually, I want to back up for a moment. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about you shared how it's important for women who are relieved and really at peace with their abortions, who didn't, you know, it was just an easy decision for them. And I have a lot of friends like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. It was just, you know, it was just really clear and they didn't have any emotional residue afterwards. Right. That there's a way that we don't even allow ourselves to acknowledge that category of women, that abortion doesn't always have to be traumatic or dark or hard. It it can be easy as well. Right. Right. And let me tell you what has happened occasionally when I've done book talks and I've said that because I usually include that fact in my talk. Um, I've had people in the audience say that those women are cold, cold hearted. That, you know, yeah. they don't have any feeling for what these people are calling the child. And, um,. I, you know, it's it's really a disturbing thing to me because it's that same patriarchal judgment against women for just being women, right? You know? And just having one version of the experience. Um, and uh, you know, I've had to try not to get too defensive and and say, well, you know, they, that per- they don't actually feel like there is a child there. They're having a very early pregnancy, and they're not emotionally connected to having a child. But they're not cold. They're very warmly in touch with themselves. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but there it is. There's the judgment. It's like you can't win, you know. That's That's been... The problem is women trying to come to some sort of resolution within themselves, and everywhere they turn, there's some sort of judgment against them. Um, yeah, at so many different levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just the fact that we're talking about it, you know, is going to help people. Whoever hears this conversation, you know, just just having it be out there is, I think, extremely healing for many people. I think so, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was even reading books, because I, I still want to be a mother, and I was reading yeah. books about anxiety about conceiving. And the books 
all these all these books, all the subtitles, it's for women who've had miscarriages, stillbirths, or SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome. They don't right. even mention abortion. Right. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, it's why it's why can't you just put the word abortion on there or even yeah, talk about how a woman had an abortion? Still, it's still not considered a legitimate. Yeah, it's not considered a legitimate experience. Yeah, you know, and so and, it's just it's another way of feeling othered. Like, oh, yeah. they're like, uh, there's no there's nowhere for me to go to mm-hmm. um, to hear other people's stories about this or to get advice about this. It's I'm totally left out of this conversation. Right, and so what happens is that women who have had abortions can't find each other in order to talk to each other. It's yeah. because because there's so much shame associated with it, and there's a, a silencing that goes on. There's a real stigma attached to having had an abortion in this culture. Now, luckily, there are feminist reproductive health organizations that are countering that, you know, that are doing what they call stigma busting. <laughs> and I, I really like that phrase. I like that, too. Yeah, so they're doing and they're doing that, and there's one called the abortion conversation, you know, and um, and they have websites and all of that, and there are many clinics that that help women with the uh, stigma busting that needs to happen, and the open discussion about different experiences. It's very important that it be brought right. out. So that's the, ultimately what's going to heal is these open conversations. Right. Right. Um, so, you know, I, I just hope more and more people are talking to each other about it um, and and understanding that there can be any number of different kinds of experiences that a woman will have with regard to choosing to have an abortion. Uh, there isn't just one way, you know, or just a few ways. There are as many different ways of talking about it as there are people. Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, I I hope that we we keep going with this because um, that's what's going to make the create the empowerment and the healing for people. Right. Mm-hmm. Is there anything else that you feel is important for women who've had abortions to know right now, or even women who haven't? You know, because we have sisters, we have daughters. You know, mm-hmm. we have friends. This is part of women's culture. Yeah. Um, well, we have to keep talking about it, like we were just saying, and um, and everyone has to stand strong, you know, and stand together, and um, and trust themselves with regard to being the authority about their own experience, even if they feel confused. Sometimes they're still the authority. In their own experience, and um, and then get help. You know, if if talking with other women helps, then get other women together and have conversations. Um, and and when you see something really vile or ignorant come through the media about women and about, about abortion, you know, just recognize that it's vile and ignorant. And uh, try not to be too defensive about it. You know, just know that it's 
okay. And not only that, it's actually good to have an abortion. Any decision that a woman makes about a pregnancy is a good decision, the right decision. I actually I say that in the book. In one, I have a sentence, you know, in the book that says it's okay to have an abortion. Yeah, Sometimes that that's sentence. that's all we have to tell each other. It's okay. Yeah. It's it's normal. It's like I can't remember exactly what it's either one in every four or five women in any yeah. group of women, somebody will have had an abortion, and probably more than one person. It's not an anomaly. It's a very common thing. It's just that it's hidden because people yeah. are ashamed. There's a lot of shame still associated with it, you know, either for religious reasons or other reasons. And then I, I also really encourage women to do their own research and do their own reading about women's history and all throughout the world and, um, you know, become really knowledgeable about how things have been and, and how they are now and where they're going. And then the other thing you can do, you know, is for some people getting involved with the clinics, the women's health clinics, is extremely healing for them, becoming a volunteer, you know, or um, just doing some sort of work to help the women's health centers, uh, helps each individual woman. Some people find that yeah. extremely healing. So. I really encourage that as well. But don't isolate. That's the worst thing you can do, you know? Don't don't withdraw and isolate. Make sure you stick Yeah. Connected. Yeah. I agree with that. I did that for a little while and it was not good. <laughs> so, yeah. Not good. Well, I mean, sometimes we do, you know, we just kind of do what animals do. We just go and look yeah. at them, you know. And hibernate try to help ourselves feel a little bit better. But it's important to, to come out and be connected to uh, other people. Um, and it's not the easiest thing in the world, but but we have to reach out. Yeah. You know. And Linda, what's next for you on your journey as a woman and as a woman who just Mm-hmm. really advocates for other women and for nature and the spiritual mm-hmm. dimensions of life. Right. Well, I'm going to continue my private practice for a while. It's very part-time, but I'm going to continue that. Um, I see people one-on-one for the most part. And um, it looks like I'm going to continue my um, Vision Quest retreats that I do in the summer. And um, that, I think, is extremely um, enlivening for me as well as how it might be healing and empowering for other people, people who come on the trips. Um, I am kind of, I'm doing, like, I'm doing this interview with you and um, I'm going to do a little bit of promotion for life choices. You know, that seems to ebb and flow. (laughs) Mm I uh, Sometimes I don't do anything for it for a long time, and and then other times I um, I feel like oh I need to do a little push for this book, right? And it's it's helpful. For example, for when you contacted me and said that the book was helpful, that just reminds me like oh yeah maybe I'll you know do a little more uh, work for the book. So I'm gonna take it to a 
street fair um, in September, and uh, I haven't done stuff like that for a little while, but it's it's really good to do. And um, and then I'm probably going to write another book, but um, I can't say for sure. I think that's the direction I'm going in. And that one will be much more of a personal spiritual statement about mm. my, my own development and how I came to understand things the way I do. Um, because I also write some poetry and I write songs and, you know, um, yeah. So that, that's what I'm up to at this point. If anyone's interested in your summer vision quest, do you have a website or a place that women can learn more about that? Yeah. For men. I don't know if you do it for men, too. I actually yeah. just do it for women. Okay. Um, I, I've seen men in my private practice in counseling as well as women, but the um, requests have been for women. And uh, my website is earthskycounseling.com. So www.earthskycounseling.com, um, and I, I think they'll find anyone will find what everything there. I put okay. everything on that website, including the book. Um, yeah. Well, I will definitely be recommending this book a lot. It's mm-hmm. really, yeah, I really mean it when I say it's a really profound book and. Similar to a woman's initiation into Menarch, I feel like this kind of literature is is really would be really great for a girl when she starts to become sexually active. You know, just to start to know like these, yeah, this this is something that as a woman you need to be initiated into as well. This concept that you are a gatekeeper of life and mm-hmm. to really. Mm-hmm. to really see yourself as that and to really know how to work with this power and get you know mm-hmm. get guidance from our right. elders in that right right and also to have i mean the one thing i would add is i would say that the what i try to do in the book is give people a long view you know the historical yeah. perspective to understand that the way things are and all the contradictions and difficulties that that we have at present in our society, you know, is due to the circumstances and the nature of the power dynamics in the society and an awful lot of things are going to have to change in our society for the, for things to improve. So that's what all the work is about. And, um, you know, it has to do with economics, it has to do with politics, it has to do with the environment, um, just pretty much everything. So I know that's very important in terms of people developing a perspective where they can fit their personal experience, you know, so they don't blame it all on themselves. Right. Wonderful. Well, are there any parting words that you want to share with our listeners? I appreciate having listeners. I'm really very, very moved um, to be doing this interview, and I'm really happy to be talking with you about this. And um, and I hope that people will um, keep on keeping on. You know, keep keep doing the work they need to do on themselves, and also in their communities, 
to improve life for everybody. Thank you so much, Linda. This is such a beautiful contribution, and I just I really appreciate I really appreciate you coming to speak with us. And um, mm-hmm. I personally have just gotten so much out of your experience and your wisdom. So thanks. And thank you so much, also. It's been great. Thank you for joining me for today's I Had an Abortion conversation. This is definitely the era of we, not the era of me. So I invite you to gather with me as a sisterhood in this global movement to heal the stigma of abortion and raise awareness and funds to create a visible, integrated, accessible post-abortion support network that spans the world, just like women can go to 12-step programs and to get support after divorce or when they have cancer. We need these kinds of support groups for women after abortions that address all dimensions of our being, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. To contribute to help create this vision, please go to patreon.com forward slash redemption circle every dollar helps to create this new reality for women who've had abortions to reclaim their voices to heal through connection and to once again feel valued and supported by their communities so patreon.com forward slash redemption circle that's where you can learn more and donate thank you for your support god bless you and i'll see you next time